Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis at 5 o'clock uh, show, the number one show in the whole East Coast right now. And uh, with us today, we have a common-sense Democrat, Judge Richard Weinberg, a common-sense uh, Republican uh, I, I'm not going to say former Congressman Peter King. I hate to say that word, former. And Tony Carbonetti, former former chief of staff. How are you, John? Former chief of staff to Rudy Giuliani and and my sidekick here, Lydia Zoranai. And uh, now the, the breaking news that just came in that the GOP representatives in Pennsylvania uh, just impeached the DA. From Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia. Does that mean we're going to have more law and order? Well, 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 it has to be convicted first in the state senate. Maybe it'll send us the impeachment is just the accusation. There'll be a trial before the state senate of Pennsylvania. Right. The impeachment matter goes to the state senate, which will require then a two thirds right. vote to remove Larry Krasner from office of the GOP led effort, calling well, it a crisis of crime. Then, then, then it's just another game because I don't think. The GOP in Pennsylvania has two-thirds of no, the vote. nowhere near it. But it does send a signal, and it can mobilize public support, you would hope. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now uh, we have Senator, a winner. From- oh, again, a winner. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Congratulations, sir. Welcome to Cats at Night. Well, guys, uh, thanks. Hope you're doing well. Hey, Ron, this is Pete King, a former congressman. Let me just at the start congratulate you on your win and tell all, all the listeners what a great job you had done when I was down there and you were chairman of the Homeland Security Committee. You're a real patriot, and I'm really delighted that you won. Well, I appreciate that, Pete, and we miss you. I enjoyed working with you. Uh, uh, tell us, uh, Senator, uh, why uh, in, in the Senate it seems like we missed that red wave. Give us your interpretation of what do you think happened. Well, yeah, I can really only speak for Wisconsin. And, you know, I think abortion in Wisconsin played into the uh, election to a greater extent than we hoped it would. Um, And in particular, and again, we'll do a full audit on on the campaign and really take a look where the votes came in. But I know election night, what uh, we were most concerned about was the very high turnout and returns from Madison. And we'd caught word that uh, apparently Democrats and, you know, ballot harvesting is kind of a um, gray issue in Wisconsin. Uh, I would say it's not legal, but uh, it's just not clear enough. And we don't have a governor that will sign the laws to bring clarity to it. So we were told the Democrats, uh, you know, re- really got a bunch of field workers, gave them a list of 10 people, go out you know, on the abortion issue and, you know, round up their absentee ballots. And they just really uh, almost overwhelmed what we were able to do. And by the way, this is a phenomenon and a challenge for us nationally. You've, you've all seen the national maps, right? The county maps where it was all red. red, except for the concentration of the blue dots. Well, every state's like that, too. So the Democrats have such a huge advantage in a world where you can put field staff on and basically collect ballots or, you know, register voters, whatever, they can concentrate all their efforts in a very small geographic area. We've got to go collect 30% of the ballots in all the rural areas, you know, in onesies and twosies. Mm -hmm. So just that right there is a very, um, very big challenge. Plus the Democrats lie with impunity. I mean, their entire campaign against myself, the governor, I'd say everybody nationwide was nothing but a pack of lies, all amplified by complicit and corrupt media. So uh, to me, that's kind of in a nutshell what happened in Wisconsin. Um, 
we kind of dodged a bullet here, but uh, we need we need to learn some real lessons, and that's kind of the discussions we're having right now in the in the U.S. Senate. Uh, Senator, it's, to- real forensic- it's Tony Carbonetti. How are you? Um, when you say Madison, were, were they preying on the the students on abortion and? And uh, giving back the the um, the loan forgiveness, right? Well, we talked about the ten thousand yesterday. That he promised President Biden promised all these students ten thousand dollars, something that even Nancy Pelosi could not said that could not be delivered. But the students didn't know that, right? And again, this is where we have to really dive in the numbers. But that's what we think. You know, just Madison in general is very liberal, but in particular, you start uh, going down there and registering. college students that, you know, let's face it, what, what, what in, in the polls, you know, when they break out demographically, Republicans are weakest with college graduates. You know, again, and po- you know, people with higher degrees, the, the more you're, the more educated you are, the more indoctrinated you are to leftist views. That's just the unfortunate state of affairs right now with the radical left taking over our university systems back in the 60s. Hey, Brian, we have get, no control of them. Uh, uh, Senator, it's, it's <clears throat> Judge Richard Weinberg, and I'm a quasi-distinguished alumnus of University of Wisconsin-Madison. <laughs> I don't want to give away uh, the date, but it's a, it's a long time ago, sometime after the War of 1812. And, but I will tell you, sir, it was always that way in Madison. It always had a left-wing contingent, and the, the, uh, the academy there was that way. There was an exception. I had a communications professor, Dreyfus, who later became the governor, and uh, he was the one conservative I remember in terms of the faculty. So right. they, they promised all the college students $10,000, plus you can have all the sex you want because you can have an abortion. <laughs> hey, Ron, without going into any detail, I wouldn't ask you that, but uh, <laughs> what can you tell us about the leadership uh, fight today between McConnell and Scott? I guess I wouldn't call it a fight. Uh, it, it was a very necessary and I would say very helpful discussion. I, I appreciate the fact that uh, Rick put himself out there. And, yeah, I can just tell you the sense of the, of the conference is, uh, you know, we all appreciate the discussion. You know, for my part, I'm, I'm brutally honest. And, you know, I'm a business guy, so you have to take a look at failure. And you, you, have, you have to look back to diagnose what happened. You have to admit there's a problem if you're ever going to go forward. And, and we had that over the last few days. And it was, it was, it was a very helpful and necessary discussion. And, you know, I, th- I think we, you know, left unified understanding that it's going to be up to Republicans in Congress to save this nation because the Democrats are destroying it. So we, we understand how important things are. You know, we, we want to concentrate on Herschel Walker. We want to make sure that he gets elected because it'll be a lot easier if it's a 50-50 Senate. First of all, 2024, that's one less seat we're going to have to win back. Uh, we just might be able to block some of the more, more radical uh, choices. So again, you guys, I, really, there, there was there was no acrimony, even though we were That's talking to very bluntly and honestly with people, having that blunt and honest discussion. Uh, we un- we understand our role, and and we also understand there's a broad spectrum of opinion in that conference. That's true, um, but we we understand how important Republicans' unification and having a strategy and having a game plan and having a message and having what we're for as we move forward. I mean, these are all the things we talked. We've got to have a lot more discussions, but that's what we talked about over the last couple of days. It really set the, set the scenes for what we need to do working then cooperatively with the house where they have a majority. Senator, what do you think last night's announcement uh, and what impact will that have on the Georgia race? 
I'm, I'm, I have no idea. I really don't. I'm, I'm hoping people focus on, on how important that race is. Let's face it, the presidential election is two years off. Okay? So we do need people to focus on Georgia and bringing that one home for Herschel Walker for Republicans so we have a 50-50 split. Uh, it's just crucial. And, you know, I'm, I'm concerned, you know, uh, Herschel's got to raise the funds, uh, but he needs the support. I'm hoping the Governor Kemp, I hope hope his grassroots effort gets fully engaged. I hope they understand how crucial this is, not for Georgia, but for U.S. Now, all, all these U.S. Senate seats are really national races. So people got to get behind Herschel and got to bring him bring him a, a victory. Ron, going forward in the Senate this year or next year, do you see any hope of dealing with uh, Joe Manchin and Cinema, or are they sort of going to stick with the Democrats, do you think? Well, you know, they already displayed their political courage in not destroying the Senate by caving out a filibuster. Now, it would be insane for Democrats to blow up, eliminate the filibuster when they don't even have the House. But this is a radical bunch. And they may want to, they may have such a desire. That's one of the reasons 50 50 is a lot easier. If it's 51 49, I would still be concerned about that filibuster. So, you know, they are, they already showed their political courage. I don't see either one of those two going back on, on their commitment to preserving the Senate in its traditions and maintain that filibuster. So you have to have a large vote to do large things. But that's the unique thing about the filibuster. You know that, Pete. Senator Ron Johnson, we've been seeing a lot of infighting, I guess a lot of blaming this Republican against that Republican. What do you have to say? Do you think it's time for the party to unite? And because at the end of the day, we all have the same goal to to take our country back from the the radical left. Yes. And I think that's exactly what we did over the last couple of days in the Senate. Uh, You know, there there were there were maybe a couple of harsh comments. but that was on day one. Day two, I think everybody kind of realized, okay, let's. This is the time to start uniting. We're, we still we still had a very robust discussion. I mean, our our, our leadership election lasted. Uh, we didn't even start the the elections for a couple hours because we continued to discuss things. So again, all, all I can tell you is we we had exactly that type of uh, discussion, uh, that that type of process that was necessary. But, but we left, and I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, you could just see not, relief might be one thing, but just a determination. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, just, you know, pe- people were, were in good moods. I mean, it's, we're, we're in a rotten mood because we don't have the majority. But I think we left in a very unified state of mind, and that's a good thing. Ron, are you ever going to have an easy election? I remember in 2016, you were counted out and you won. This year, they had you up there as being in really tough shape. Somehow, you always managed to win. Well, this year, he was supposed to be eight points ahead, and I'm glad he won. No, but as it's coming down the wire, they had, they had Ron as being one of the real questionable races, and he wins. In 2016, they had said you couldn't win, and you won. So you know how why? Do you do it? He worked so hard. I've never seen a U.S. senator work as hard as uh, Senator Johnson. I believe that. Well, I, I like to think it's because I tell people the truth. And yes. You know, one of our polling results is, you know, I had a majority of Wisconsinites, even when my fave unfaves were, were underwater because of the relentless attacks on the media, you know, more than half the people thought I was reasonable. And so I'm not a bomb floor, thrower. I think I, you know, my, my discussions are generally in moderate tones and stuff. So I, I don't think I scare people. I think people think I'm reasonable, but they, they realize they may not agree with me, but they know I'm telling them what I believe. They, they know that I'm telling them what I believe is the truth, okay, even if they disagree with it. 
But I think that that means something. Yeah, I, I won my first two elections by 100,000 votes each. <laughs> this one I won by 26,000 votes. So it's always going to be close. I mean, the percentages may change, but it's, it's Wisconsin. It's dead even. I just don't pay attention to the polls. I just always view them as a dead even race and just work my tail off because that's what you have to do to win. Senator Johnson, thank you. Congratulations and thank you for coming on. And you, you, you're correct. You tell the American people the truth. And uh, you, you're the hardest working senator I know. And, and uh, we're going to have to go on a hard break. But, but thank you so much again. And we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, Ron. Thank you and your audience. Take thank care. You. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. While we await Charlie Gasparina, I just want to let our audience know we have a great show for everyone. We'll be talking, of course, to Charlie, Dr. William Parker, Dr. Sky himself, and Tom DiNapoli right here in New York City. But I also want to talk amongst... Oh, we got Charlie on the line. Okay, Charlie Gasparino, a journalist extraordinaire, frequent gym uh, guy. You're always in the gym, pumping that iron. It's called Jim Rat. Oh, Jim Rat. Jim Rat. I don't know. <laughs> you know what we were talking about before, about how Elon Musk sent out a memo to all of the employees and asked them, either you work hard or give your resignation and here's your three-month severance. What do you think about that? You know, it's his company. He, it's a cult of personality and any company. I don't think that's a, an incredibly effective way um, to uh, to get the most out of people, <laughs> to be honest with you. And particularly when you're laying people off. I mean, you know, that's the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? If you're laying people off and you want them to work harder, you know, putting guns to their heads kind of uh, is not kind of the way you do it. Um, but, you know, he... You know, far be it for me to criticize a guy who became the richest man in the world. I mean, he must know something was what he's doing. But, you know, he's always been an erratic guy. I mean, just as things, you know, remember the time he said he was going to take Tesla private at $420 and it didn't happen. And and we all know with the the Twitter thing, I mean, it was like on again, off again, on again, off again. So, you know, this guy is, uh, this this guy's kind of a piece of work. I I mean, if someone said that to you, work harder or leave. I mean, how how good do you feel? I mean, you know, I mean, but, I, 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 but Charlie, you know, I, I work hard. Yeah, it's uh, it's Richard Weinberg. I'll tell you what the problem is. I think, and you know statistics better than I do, I think only about 40% of the population in the United States is working. So you have a whole culture out there of no work. The work ethic seems to be dying. And who's going to pay for the Social Security and all the wonderful social programs? Where's the economic productivity come from if well, people don't work? That's a great point. And maybe he knows what's going on. I mean, he obviously knows what's going on there better than I do. So maybe there are people that are just so annoyed that he's running the show that they don't want to work. And they're lazy and they don't want right. to work. Maybe that generation needs a kick in the ass. They, they never maybe, had it. Or maybe, or maybe, you know, he's, you know, listen, he's laying a lot of people off. People are sleeping under their desks. I mean, maybe there's something, maybe, maybe there's a middle ground here that you can sort of tap into to get more, <laughs> more productivity without, you know, demeaning people. I, I, I just think it's, I, I don't know enough. I have to admit, it just, it's, it sounds to me, listen, my gut instinct is like, these are a bunch of millennial tech people, you know, who cares, you know, either go take, 
go, you know, well, you had work or go home. Charlie, you had the worst management team in the world. They, were, they didn't know anything about running a business, in my opinion, at, uh, at Twitter. And uh, finally, you, you got uh, Musk in there that says, look, guys, you want to you get paid? Work. That's what he said. And right yeah. now, by the way, there's yeah. been I mean, some yeah. breaking news. From uh, uh, came out of the UK papers that CNN is going to have a big layoff. Right, and ABC News has a hiring freeze, so it's not looking too good for the media companies. WABC is hiring. WABC is hiring because when you go woke, you go broke. (laughs) (laughs) All right, at least I know there's someplace I can land. So tell Fox News, don't go woke. I don't think you have to worry about that already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so uh, tell us, where the heck are we going? I, I had uh, uh, dinner last night with one of our close friends, uh, uh, and he says the, uh, the M2 situation, the, the numbers are going way down, uh, and uh, the market might uh, sustain itself where it is and go up. So he thinks that inflation is going to come down dramatically. It came, yep. That's what, the, and it's a mutual friend. Well, I think I know who it is, but <laughs> I won't say his name. You know, uh, the guy I have um, dinner with all the time. Yeah, okay, so that makes sense. Um, listen, I, I, I don't know. I, I do know that, you know, the um, inflate, you fighting inflation has always been a very um, difficult task um, with monetary policy. Like, what looks like a victory, and three months later, you know, the stuff comes roaring back. So, you know, if you really want to get it down to 2%, they probably got to keep, they probably got to raise it another 75 and something after that. I mean, that's kind of, I think, what people are saying. And then, and then you take a break. That's what I kind of, that's what my Fed watchers are saying. Is, is that what your our mutual friend said last night? Uh, he thinks that the, uh, there might be a... Uh a little bit of a break. So he thinks they're going to stop in the next meeting. Not necessarily stop completely, but uh, easing, easing a little bit. Yeah, go fifty. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I can see him doing that. The guys, the guys backed off in the past, but you know, you got to be really careful with this. If you, you know, if if you don't, if you if you don't, if you're not steadfast in the face of it, it comes back all the time. I mean, that's the history of this stuff. Well, the, 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 the numbers are starting to come down. I was on uh, one of your colleagues' uh, shows yesterday. I was on uh, Stuart Varney's, and right. uh, we, I gave him some breaking news that we have a large construction projects in our real estate department, and some of that product is starting to come down because – Jay Powell raised the rate so high, it destroyed the real estate market, and nobody's building a lot. Of, uh, nobody's building a lot of new construction, so the price of concrete has going down, down, down. That sounds good, though, isn't it? Well, yes, but uh, you, <laughs> you, you got to kill the market to help that happen. Well, I mean, absence of absence of um, fiscal policy in the mix. Uh, like deregulation or your targeted tax cuts, whatever. Um, you, you know, you, 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 all you have is the heavy, ha- heavy sort of hammer of, of, of monetary policy here. So uh, again, you know, even if they raised it seventy five basis points, wouldn't we still probably have negative interest rates? I mean, I think you got to look at it that you know we. Well, we it, it depends. Have- See, when we do C- CPI and when we do PPI. 
a lot of those numbers are historical, what happened in the last six months versus what's really happening right now and what is the pulse of what's really happening? Um, that's interesting. I, I, I can just tell you that I, I think you have to go by what the Fed goes by. Okay. Well, there are a bunch of historians. What do you want? Yes. And so that means they're going to raise rates another 75 basis point. Well, oh, boy. I mean, so why fight them? Just prepare. Switching gears, Charlie Gasparino, what did you think of the tone of Trump's speech? You're a journalist, and it, it was a, it was a, like, it reminded me of Trump 2016 when he was trying to be more presidential. What did you think? I mean, yeah, I mean, he was a little, he was a lot more subdued. I mean, this is obviously, you know, we're talking about historic. We got a lot of history now with, with Donald. I, you know, I, I, I feel bad for him in this sense because, you know, I'm, I read every day that people hate him and, you know, they, you know, the whole conservative movement wants him to go and he's, he's this, he's that. You know, he did carve out a new way to, to uh, for conservatism that, that, that's sold, that, that, that's working in many ways. Um, it's bringing more minorities and, and working class white people into the party. And um, he did that. I mean, it's less globalist, less elitist. Uh, he did that. He was a very good operational president, you know, before the pandemic. You know, he, he got us the vaccine. He did that. The question is, and he, but he has some like wicked blind spots. Those blind spots have always taken away from his accomplishments. And now the question is, you know, you know, you know, should he be doing this? And then, and at the same time, like literally attacking people that are very good. I mean, uh, do you think it's smart to attack Ron DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin, who actually didn't pick a fight with? That's very, you know, that's very stale politics, don't you think? You mean by yeah. blind spot? You mean his personality? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he does yeah. things like this. It's like, uh, and you know, it's funny if you know him one on one, he's not like that at all. Uh, I, I, and by the way, you know, his kids—they're not like that. I, you know, I just, I, I don't know why. Now, now maybe he's going to make a change now. But, you know, I think some of this stuff is, he, his um, his personality is, is rubbed so many people the wrong way for so long. I think it's hard to un, un, yeah, un it's, sort of Don't you that. think that's a little too little too late for him? Yes, I, I do. I do. And I say that with respect because, you know, and I've never been like a huge, you know, I like him. Again, I like, I think he's okay personally. I think he's a good, you know, I, I really enjoy his company when I, when I was with him. You know, I, I, I've interviewed him in the past. You know, he was a funny, interesting, really smart guy. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and you know, he, he's obviously not, you know, he's a lot different in person. And when you get to know him, then the, the caricature that he created for himself yeah, Charlie, this is Pete King. I, I agree with you completely. One-on-one, even in a small group. He's yeah. a, uh, you have to keep reminding yourself he's a president. You're, you feel he's like trying. you're back on the your street corner as a kid. He's joking around. He's flowing around. He's and having he's, a laugh. He's clearly, he's really smart. I mean, this, you know, he's light years smarter than Joe Biden. I mean, let's wow. be real clear. Well, so, I, I thought like, you want to give Trump conscious. some credit. He, he, I thought you want to give Trump some a, credit. He's a scarecrow. I think Fetterman's smarter. Yeah. Than yeah. But, but you know, but here's the problem. <laughs> did, did, did his noxious personality, and it does get noxious at times. And, uh, you know, you know, is it is it so radioactive now that he can't win? And I, I, I think it is. You know, uh, and I, I say that as someone that I mean, I would yeah, listen. I, I'd vote for him over Biden, obviously. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, Same I people voted for Fetterman over Oz. Well, you, well, you know, I, I'm going to take. I'm not going to be Brutus. 
I am not going to go stand up and stab Caesar in the back, guys. Okay? You guys can stab, do all the stabbing you want. I'm not going to be Brutus. I am going to give it some time and let's see if, uh, if he's going to take the high road, presidential road. But if he doesn't, we can stab him from the front. You can stab him back later. We'll slap him in the face. John, John, we're not exactly being Brutus here. I mean, this conversation, I think, is pretty measured in okay. terms of... I think we're just uh, being honest because we want to win. Trying to be honest. You know, I, I, I understand. So it's not the eyes of March yet? Is that what you're telling us, Charlie? Right, right message, we wrong message. the eyes of March. <laughs> Tune in in March and we'll see where we go. <laughs> Thank you. Charlie, we've got to take a break. Thank you so much for coming on, and and God bless you, and uh, keep telling the truth. Thank you. Thank you. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. In studio, Tony Carbonetti, Congressman Peter King, Judge Weinberg, and John Katzmatidis, and myself, Lydia Serrani. On the line with us right now, Dr. William Parker. He's the CEO of Parker Maritime Technologies. Uh, there's, I can go on and on about all of his credentials. Dr. Parker is also a retired senior U.S. Naval officer who commanded three warships and later a squadron of warships. He also served as a chief of staff for the U.S. Naval Service Forces, Forces. Excuse me, I'm trying to go fast. Thank you so much, Dr. Parker, for coming back on Cats at Night. Oh, it's always an honor. So so what the heck is going on in the Middle East? I mean, uh, uh, Ukraine, Russia, Poland. You give us your Iran, evaluation. Iran. Iran. Yeah, there's there's lots going on everywhere. And uh, Ms. Casmatis, we talked about uh, we talked about Ukraine and and uh, the surrounding areas with Russia last time. So maybe we touch on Iran for a second, if you don't mind. Go ahead. You know, you had you had the death of this 22 year old uh, Masa Amini for uh, for uh, not wearing her hijab properly, uh, and uh, and and from there you end up with some very very courageous. Uh, Iranians who said, we're not taking this anymore. And just like 2019, where they lost about 1,500 people, they're standing up to uh, to these thugs who are running their country again and saying, we're not putting up with it. Uh, and so you have uh, protests in over 140 cities around the country right now. And what's the likelihood of success of this effort? Well, I think it depends on uh, whether or not the rest of the globe steps up and uh, helps them at least a little bit. Uh, if, if that happens, I think uh, it's it's pretty good because uh, this is not the first time they learned from their last lessons. And you have a lot of people on the streets right now, even well, a lot well, more. Than let's that. get down to the money. You know, yeah. it's it's the money, uh, honey. Is that what he's saying? Uh, how much oil is Iran producing and are, are they going to uh, punish us that way? Well, the Gulf is about uh, 20% if you look at, at, at the whole Gulf, uh, 20%. I mean, the United States, and you and I have talked about this, the United States has enough uh, natural gas and oil that we're sitting on. If we but want you, got to a start- stubborn, you have a stubborn president that doesn't want to b- b- produce any. Well, and you also uh, unfortunately have $1.7 billion of U.S. money that uh, that ended up in Iranian hands during the JCPOA. Now, yeah. it's good news that at least this time the president's saying, you know what, I'm not interested in JCPOA right now. We're going to talk about other things. But I got to tell you, that $1.7 billion hurts when it was cash, cash of, uh, of airplanes flown over in the middle of the night. In, in cash. Little, I mean, somebody cash. somebody had to fund the terrorists. We should have given them Bitcoin. <laughs> well, not all Bitcoin. FTX in particular is what I would have invested. Yeah. Dr. Parker, as far as Iran, are you convinced that the Biden administration is not pursuing 
a uh, nuclear agreement with Iran? No, I'm not convinced of that at all. I'm, I'm convinced that. And what impact are, would that have on, on, the, on the situation over there? Yeah, my 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 influence, my uh, insight is that uh, there's a possibility that a nuclear agreement could still come in through a JCPOA type of event. But I think right now they're they're looking at what's going on in Ukraine. They're looking at this uh, weapon that uh, got dropped in Poland. They're looking at what's going on with China. They're sending Tony Blinken to uh, back to China early next year after he got kind of schwacked by Wang last year in uh, in Alaska. So they got a lot going on right now. And I'm not sure the JCPOA is something they want to put on the table. Well, you remember back when they did it, that should have been a treaty. How are they going to pull that stunt again and not do it as a treaty? I, I don't think they can. Um, I, I don't think they can. And I think it's uh, I think it's a different game, too, depending on if your 17 gets to 18. All right. Uh, I had uh, lunch with uh, Condoleezza Rice today. And uh, one smart lady, very smart lady. And I asked her about uh, Secretary uh, Tony Blinken and uh, he says uh, he knows his stuff, but can does John Kerry outrank Tony Blinken uh, and go to uh, Joe Biden? Um, well, first of all, Condi Rice is one of the one of the truly brilliant people in this country. Um, and, and second, I agree, Blinken does know his stuff. Um, and you know, by by rank, he's number three, right? I mean, after after the vice president. Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean that John Kerry doesn't uh, doesn't go and say I'm interested in something else. There's still a lot of people interested in JCPOA uh, working. Uh, but I got I got to tell you that the uh, the Iranians are not going to hold up their end of the deal. And so that's just a bad deal for us. Uh, we did not get the inspection clauses right in there. We did not get uh, the ability to go onto their bases and look at what's going on. So it's nothing like the open skies treaty that we had with the Russians previously. And what should the Israelis do in this situation now? Well, the Israelis need to do a couple things. I think uh, Netanyahu's uh, uh, a very aggressive guy and will uh, certainly have an Iron Dome system that will be uh, improved uh, in the very near future. Um, I would not be surprised at all if you see uh, an imminent strike, If I mean an imminent threat, if you see Netanyahu um, uh, put rounds downrange towards, uh, towards the Iranians. And uh, Dr. Parker, speaking of the Iranians, the government there is threatening to kill 15,000 dissidents. But then again, we're beholden to them because of oil. What can the United States do? Because we, you know, here we we can't upset them. But then on the other hand, we can't allow them to kill 15,000 people. I think we can upset them. I think instead what we do is we uh, we spend our money instead of on uh, JCPOA funding and we buy icebreakers and we start uh, drilling um, where we need to be drilling, where the That's Russians right. are right now. We need to get the uh, XL pipeline back, and we need to be pumping more natural we, gas. We all, all Americans agree, but it's not going to be done. And uh, I, you know, in our previous conversation with Jay Powell, I said uh, we're destroying the American real estate industry by raising interest rates so high. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you, uh, uh, Mr. Parker. Uh, thank you for, for everything you've done for our country and in the Navy and, and the East-West Institute, the president of the East-West Institute and making peace around the world. And keep fighting for our country, uh, Mr. Parker. Absolutely. And you too. Thank you. Thanks to all of you for all you're doing. Thank you. And, and now uh, we're going to have a report about what's going on in NASA. Do we have Dr. Sky on yet? Yes, good evening, John. 
Steve Cakes, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, tell me, they finally, NASA finally launched that, uh, that uh, rocket? Well, John, good evening to you, the studio guests and the listeners. It's an exciting day for NASA. You're right. 1.47 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the long-awaited and postponed launch of the Artemis One moon rocket known as the Space Launch System rocket took off. And, John, this is so incredible. Not since the Apollo 17, the Saturn V that was launched at night, have we had a spectacular launch. Because remember, this rocket, the most powerful rocket, John, that we've ever developed around the planet, 8.8 million pounds of thrust, pushing a payload of 5.75 million pounds into space on a 25-day trip to the moon. It's a shakedown cruise. There's obviously no astronauts on board this mission, but it's exciting, John. Don't you think that America now gets a, a big headway in the well, race? We're only the 25 years late, uh, Steve. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit impatient. Uh, you impatient? No, I'm not the patient anymore. <laughs> hey, I mean, NASA takes them three, four months to launch one rocket, and uh, uh, what's his name? Elon Musk has done 38 of them in the, in the meantime. Now, I t- know, John. It's yes. just I expected a lot better from, from NASA at a, at a faster rate. Uh, the other thing, that secret, sure. secret airplane that mm-hmm. caused a sonic boom in the whole state of Florida uh, yes. when it landed. Tell us about that. Tell, well, John, that's tell, a project. Tell, called, tell our yeah. audience about the secrets. Well, the secret is here we go. At least we, what we can tell you. I don't even know, but this is what we think we know. It's called the X 37B. It's a miniaturized version of the space shuttle itself. It's about 27 feet long with a wingspan of 14 feet. He created a double sonic boom over Florida over the weekend and woke people up. This little object, John, was in space for 908 days. What's the mission? Now, some say it's trying to convert, get a load of this solar power into microwaves, but I think there's a lot of other secret things, don't you think, that are going on with that. With all the concerns we have about satellite technologies, where some countries may want to shoot down satellites, let's hope and pray that the Space Force, which kind of runs this, has other technologies on board. I've observed it many times from the ground, John. It's one of the fastest moving little objects you'll see in the nighttime sky. But how about that? 908 days it's been up there. It's unmanned controlled from the ground. It gives America, hopefully, an engine to space, not only for technology, but for defense if we ever need it. Steve Cates, one more minute. Tell us some some more, another mystery, another secret for our audience. Well, John, here's the biggest one. Where did the universe really begin? We go back to 13.77 billion years ago. Today, the two biggest concerns in the universe are, well, as the universe expands, John, Something called dark energy doesn't slow it down. It makes it go faster. And there's something else that binds the whole universe together. It's called dark matter. These are the two greatest mysteries in science right now. And these are the things that we report here with you Steve on your Kitts, show. I think you should tell the anti-fossil fuel people that. And uh, they'll, they'll, start, <laughs> they'll start another emergency on that. Absolutely, John. Tell them to go to WABCRadio.com for the Dr. Sky Experience, both our podcast and our blog. And thank you, John, for having me on this great radio station with your listeners. Thank you so much. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Now, we've got Tom DiNapoli, the controller of New York State, uh, on the line with us. And, And people are wondering... 
can we can we get D.A. Uh, Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg to indict the people that took the eleven billion dollars in in uh, in unemployment money? He's too busy downgrading gun crimes, John. He doesn't have time for this. What say uh, you, Tom? Well, and congratulations, Tom DiNapoli. Another four years. It's thank Tom, you, Mr. John. King. Congratulations. Hey, Pete, how are you? Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, look, hey, uh, $11 million. $11 billion. Uh, billion. Yeah. billion. And, and, and by the way, uh, that's an estimated number. I think it's probably a low number. And, uh, you know, I know now the part of labor, they're working with, with the feds at the federal level because this is federal money. Uh, hopefully there will be recouping of the money. And if they could charge people, let's hope that that happens. Identity theft uh, was really the big issue here. Uh, and, and what underlined all of this is that the Department of Labor at the state level did not heed past warnings, including audits from my office, that said your system is outdated, it can't manage effectively uh, the caseload that you have, and then you come up with, with COVID-19, and we all understand it was an emergency. If I would have known, I would have applied for unemployment. You would have, you would, you would have applied for Yeah, that. but you don't get a salary. Well, the federal, no, the federal government gave me a refund. Oh yeah, that's right. I have that check. I took that check and I put it in a, uh, a frame in a frame and I put it up. Really? Yeah. I didn't yeah. cash it. And, yeah. and you know what they did? That's right. You did. That's you know right. what the federal government did? What? They sent me in six months later. You did not cash your check, so we're sending you a another one. A, no, a Fed wire. <laughs> and I couldn't return that one. Uh, so you got to. Well, look, we don't want you to get in trouble for that. And I'm sure you won't. But, hey, the message here is that they really need to do a, a, a much more efficient job of upgrading their system, number one. Number two, they have to recoup uh, the money as best as they can, and it's going to be hard to recoup some of that. But that, that $11 billion is a, is a low number estimate on Ford. And then you have some folks that got paid the wrong amount. They got paid too much, or they got paid from the federal temporary program uh, when uh, – you know, they got paid inappropriately, or rather, they should—they got paid for the, the the existing program instead of the federal temporary program. So you had all kinds of of miscalculation of, uh, that went on here. And hey, again, we. Now, what was the main reason? Was it intentional, or was it just inertia, no, or just it, they were, the system was overwhelmed? Look, you know, Pete, as you recall. COVID hit hard. The economy closed down. Lots of people were out of work. They, they needed to put, you know, bread on the table. And so the federal government came up with a solution in terms of more money. But our system wasn't able to handle the volume, which rose exponentially. So there was miscategorizing and miscalculation. And then identity theft. There were a lot of folks that scammed the system. And the system was not set up to control it. There were some controls in place, but in an effort good intention to get the money out the door, they weakened some of the normal controls and, and then we just had this terrible abuse. So <laughs> it's, it's a hard lesson that we've learned. Let's Tom hope they DiNapoli, get you're, 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 you know, uh, did you win by the largest margin of all the Democratic candidates? For uh, apparently, yes. That's not a surprise. Tom, I think that's you, not a surprise. We all voted for that's you. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, so Tom, this is nice. I, I, actually, I did. I went good, straight I down. Too. We all the voted The only Democrat I voted for. Tom, um, it's well, Tony Carbonetti. You're the only you, Democrat I voted for. What percentage did you win by, uh, Tom DiNapoli? I think that's still, I think it's 56, 57, somewhere around there. Also, oh, yep. Tom, this is the most acrimonious year I ever saw. I'm still waiting for someone to say a bad word about Tom DiNapoli. So somehow oh, wow. you've ducked those bullets all together. Well, so far, hey, Pete, you and I grew up in Nassau together, and I, I, I grew up in a good Republican household, so I've always been a little more bipartisan than most. And, 
I should mention that that Pete and I had a very very shared common friend in uh, Larry Ellison. Oh, yes. was a, I learned a lot from him about politics. And Nassau I Nassau County. You're probably the only Democrat from Nassau County that won. Nassau is not so uh, purple anymore. It's becoming more red. There's no yeah. doubt about Tom, it. The only because they want law and order. I mean, that's well, the, the only the, reason. Tom mentioned Larry Elovich. In a way, he was like a metaphor for what did work in Nassau County. We could fight it out sometimes, but the reality is we came to get the job done. We got it done. Yes. And yeah. We crossed party lines. Now, yeah. you also, uh, Matt Wanning tells me you have a drug study you wanted to talk about? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we, we put out a report that really showed during the pandemic there was a huge increase, like 68% increase in the number of deaths in our state, largely due to the opioid crisis, fentanyl. Uh, we, we were making some progress in this area, but with the isolation, all the mental health issues, so many people turned back to uh, an addiction and, and access to this terrible uh, fentanyl and other kinds of synthetic opioids, and the death rates have been have been skyrocketing so we all have to do a lot more work in this area we need to have more resources they are more support for recovery and treatment uh, it really is a wake-up call i know everybody's working hard on this issue we have a long way to go to resolve uh, tom, tom DiNapoli, they're killing our people it's coming through the borders and hundreds of thousands of well i think like 110 120 130,000 people have died from the fentanyl coming from the mexican border and i it's just you know i that's part I, of it i mean no it's crazy. The part of, that's not the only piece of it but but it's certainly a part of it but just think of 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 the families that are impacted think of all the talent that we lose when and it's often young people what we're really seeing is the mental health issues are particularly severe now with with our youngest uh, citizens and neighbors. It really this this whole isolation time of of COVID, the anxiety really affect, affected young people, young adults, and unfortunately, those are the ones who seem most susceptible to falling into the the trap of of uh, addiction and uh, and abusive drugs. Tom DiNapoli, th- congratulations and thank you for everything you do for all people in New York City, New York State, and God bless you and and have a healthy year. Thanks. Thanks, Thank John. You. To you and the whole team there. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving John. Do we start singing happy birthday now? Because we he wasn't on for his birthday. Dr. Peter Mikolos, our resident medical genius. Happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. But I did wish him a happy yeah. birthday. Yes, but we now he has we, to we hear us. Happy birthday. And, and what's your biological no, your what is it? Not your not your, your Chron- chronological age. Your bio, biological age. What is it? Biological he's, age. He's under the 38. 48. So he's getting younger. Uh, but right. what are you identifying as? <laughs> a 48 year old. Tell us the hot news. What do you got today? Well, you just talked about what's happening with the opiate, but don't forget also the cannabis problem. There's record number of people. One hospital in San Diego in one week had 37 people with. Uh, marijuana thc psychosis so in the old days marijuana had like two percent thc some of these new marijuana gummy bears and uh various uh, marijuana cigarettes that are coming in have like 20 to 30 percent thc so they're seeing lots of uh people with dw high right now i call it instead of dwi and a lot of marijuana psychosis and also depression tonight we're going to talk quickly about this depression and it's one of the number one diseases in the United States is mental illness. A lot of it is also drug-related, but I also want to remind people to get their annual physicals because, for example, 
Some people who are depressed can be hypothyroid, because that can be a symptom of depression. We now know that disruptions in the microbiome, our gut, the microbiome composition is associated with depression. They found certain bacteria like the R. ruteri lower in people with depression and anxiety. They also found that uh, depression is associated with inflammation, like irritable bowel disease. 20% of those people have depression, and there is a gut communication with the brain. And people with the Mediterranean diet had lower incidence of depression, anxiety, and people on the high-fat diet had a higher incidence of uh, depression. And some of the new exciting things that are happening are things that using magnetic fields, this TMS therapy they're using for depression, and uh, some of the new medicines, for example, women with postpartum depression, they even have a IV therapy that people stay in the hospital for 60 hours and they give them an intravenous of a newer antidepressant, malaxone, and uh, people are getting better. And then there's a cousin of ketamine they're using in depression that's done intranasally through the nose, and people are getting better uh, with depression because with depression we have low serotonin levels. We also know diet. We've talked about vitamin D levels in countries that it's low, not enough sun, higher incidence of depression, like Iceland, for example, one of the highest suicide rates where it's dark and not a lot of sun. And there's also some new uh, pills that have not yet been approved in the uh, United States, uh, agalactone and the 25 milligram pills. So there's a lot of new exciting things to help people with depression, but the drug uh, problem is not helping. And all this legalization of marijuana, nobody also talks about the Duke University study that it damaged sperm and caused epigenetic damage to sperm. That was generational, which is pretty wild. And I wish people would look that up before they smoke their next joint, look up Duke University study. Dr. Mikolos, what does it do to a woman's eggs as well? Well, that one, they, that one they didn't study in these studies, but they definitely were able to show that the men who were smoking marijuana, and they, again, this is all stuff, look it up. It's not, I'm, not my opinion. This is all fact. Literature came out of Duke that it possibly may be associated with fathers who smoke marijuana, that their children may have a higher incidence of autism. And again, these are things we have to be worried about, but nobody's talking about them. So it always blows me away that everyone makes it sound like it's just benign. It's like herbal, botanical. I tell people that's not how it works. It's a drug. It's a chemical. And when I worked at Rikers Island and I took interviews of people, they always said that was my introduction drug. And that's how it all it started with just a little weed and uh, it graduated to other more heavier drugs. And of course, we talked about the fentanyl problem with over 100,000 dead in the last year. And it's very uh, serious problem because you can't control the dosages. It's not like a pharmacy. It's stamped 10 milligrams. We don't know what the actual dose that you're getting. So please watch your kids, watch what they're taking and all the kids out there. Don't let anybody give you things. And even when you go to a party, don't ever leave your drink alone. I'll never forget in college some perfect score SAT kid that someone slipped LSD in his drink. And after that, it was never the same. And he ended up uh, committing suicide. So, uh, you know, think little basic things that our moms used to tell us, but it's, it's real, be careful and, uh, you know, try to stay healthy and only put clean, natural things in your body. And it reminds us of a story last week when the, that girl was not feeling good and her friend gave her one pill mm-hmm. and she died. Right. 
She yeah. died. We keep hearing those stories, and and the girl tried. I, and I she still, got. I still want to hear the statistics of, of people in Colorado driving around high, and how many uh, accidents have really happened in uh, from uh, you know being a space cadet on marijuana. Yeah, the problem is because you don't have a blood alcohol test. There's no current way to actually measure. There will be one day where they can measure these things, but right now there's a lot of people driving around with DW high. We're going to see increased accidents, but tell people to please be careful in moderation with everything in life. Stay healthy and listen to WABC for more life-saving health tips. Dr. Peter Michalos, thank you so much uh, for coming on. And uh, um, you know what we stand for in this show? Truth, justice, and the American way. God bless America. Thank you all. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.